Good morning, church. So very good to see you this morning. I've noticed that in addition every week to telling you that I love and appreciate you, one of the things I tend to do is say amen to the song that's sung right before the lesson. And I, I'm really saying amen to every song that we sing. I'm, I'm saying amen to not only the songs that are chosen and the way that they're led, but hearing you sing them. Because every single week, these songs are so powerful and tie in so well with what we're talking about. And I just kind of want to, sometimes I, I want to just leave the sermon aside and just kind of dwell on each slide of, of the songs and just say, do we, do we really believe this that we're singing? Are we really thinking about these words? Do we really believe in, in the resurrection that he has conquered death? Do we believe that? Do we believe that the, the gates of hell shall not prevail? Do we really believe that we are victorious in Jesus? Amen. This is the only thing we could say to that, isn't it? Amen. It is good to be reminded of who we are and, and what we believe. When I was a toddler, or as young as I can remember, the, the first thing that I can remember being scared of, and I hate to even say this because it might plant seeds, but I think we all have this idea. I, I was afraid that there were monsters under my bed or monsters in my closet. Kids, I promise there never were any, but I was afraid of that. The next thing I can remember being scared about was taking the trash to the curb. And it wasn't so much, I don't know if you had this experience, taking the trash to the curb at, at night. It wasn't so much taking the trash out that was scary because then you could look at the darkness, but it was when you got the trash can to the curb and then you had to turn your back on the darkness and then go back to the house. And I never once walked back to the house. I sprinted back to the house. And then I was just praying that nobody, none of my neighbors were watching and seeing me run back to the house. Uh, I, I remember, you know, growing up, different things that scared me. Probably the scariest moment of my life was asking my father-in-law if I could marry his daughter. That was, that was terrifying. Every week that I stand here, I've been doing ministry for over 20 years now. I'm still waiting for the day when this won't scare me. As we get older... And as our situations in life change, the, the things that we say, I'm afraid of this, or the way we use fear, or what we say scares us, or even, or even the way we mean fear, or the, the way we mean being scared. Sometimes when we talk about being afraid, sometimes what we mean is that we're nervous that something bad is going to happen, and other times we use the word fear to just talk about excitement and just something that makes us tremble with excitement. But over the years and as our lives change, what scares us changes, doesn't it? And I want to spend just a minute this morning asking the question, what are we afraid of? And maybe, maybe you personally have something in your life right now that comes to mind. Maybe news that you're afraid of receiving. Maybe news that you've already received and you're waiting to see how things will play out. Maybe things going on in your own personal life, or maybe things going on in your immediate family or your extended family or in the community. Maybe there's things that you have, because I'm not alone, right? We all struggle with 
being afraid of, of different things and, and over our lives, the, the things that we're afraid of, the things that scare us, the things that terrify us and make us nervous, those things change. And so whatever it is right now that, that you're afraid of, you probably have some personal things that scare you. But there's even things that we, we have in common, aren't there? There's probably some things that as Christians living in 21st century America in 2022, there are things that kind of collectively scare us, maybe? What is it that, that scares us as Christians in the 21st century? What are we afraid of as, as the modern church right now in our present circumstance? I was thinking about that question and thinking about the things that make me nervous and the things that I've heard other people say recently. Maybe things like this. Our, our culture is increasingly more secular. And I think that that's true. No matter what metric we use, look at the statistics, people are less religious in the American culture than they used to be. People are less religious and more secular. There are more people now than, than there used to be who don't believe in God, who don't attend worship. And so as we think about the way things are and we think about the trajectory of where things are going, some of us might be very scared to say, what's the future going to hold if our culture is less religious and more secular? Something that might scare us is the fact that Christians are compromising or altogether losing their moral convictions. Again, as we look at different statistics and surveys and metrics, and we think about the way Christians Think about things like gender and sexuality. The, the stances that Christians take are changing. And the way Christians think about certain moral and ethical questions, those are changing. Even when we look at things like pornography, men, especially Christian men, tend to view pornography at similar rates as unbelieving men. And as we think about all of those things, that can be scary. And we, we think about what is, but also what will be. Or how about there's a growing biblical illiteracy in the church. Even in the church, we don't know the Bible maybe the way we used to, maybe the way that we should. And so when we think about the biblical illiteracy and how little we really know the scriptures, that may frighten us. Or we might reflect on the fact that some lawmakers or thought leaders want to deprive us of the religious freedoms and liberties that we have enjoyed for so long, and we worry what might happen if some of our religious freedoms are taken away. Now, some of these may resonate with you. Others may not resonate with you. Again, you may not be thinking about our shared fears. Maybe you're just thinking about your personal fears. But regardless, whether we're talking about things we have in common, fears we, we hold in common, or fears that you are, are dealing with in your personal life, what I really want us to think about and ask ourselves is, what should be our demeanor? As we reflect on these things that scare us, that frighten us, that make us nervous, what sort of demeanor should we adopt? What sort of posture should we have? What should be our attitude? As we deal with and try to figure out how do I, how do I live with this, 
these things that make me terrified about the way things are or the way things are going or the way things will be, what should be the Christian demeanor? What should be the Christian posture? What should be the Christian attitude and behavior as it relates to these things that scare us? Should we be defensive, constantly talking about what we're against? We're against this and we're against that and don't do this and don't believe that and and don't think this and should we constantly be defensive? Should we be dismissive and say, well, these things aren't real or, or they're overblown or they're exaggerated or don't worry about these things? Should we be aggressive? Should we assume a posture and have a demeanor of being hostile or harsh, critical, and aggressive? I constantly hear the phrase, fight fire with fire. Should we be as aggressive to to those who are against us? Should we return that aggression on them? Or should we just be passive and just say, well, whatever happens, happens, and we'll just sit back and let it happen? Or should we be elusive and and kind of hide from the world and just sort of hunker down and and build barriers and say, we're just going to hide out and let the world do the world thing and we're just going to be over here by ourselves? These are important questions, aren't they? Because again, we, we all have things that frighten us. We all have things that that scare us, that make us afraid because we look at what has happened, what is happening, what might happen, what we think will happen. We've got to ask ourselves, what should be my demeanor? What should be my attitude? How should I live and how should I treat people that scare me? This is why the book of Acts is so important and why we're in the book of Acts this year, why I chose the book of Acts for us to think through because I think that there are a lot of us who are afraid and the book of Acts demonstrates how to be an unstoppable church even through the most challenging times, doesn't it? That's what the book of Acts does. It demonstrates how to be an unstoppable church even through the most challenging times. Because here's the thing, church, here's the thing, that no matter what we are going through or what we will go through, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have been there before. Chances are, no matter what we go through, chances are we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through that right now. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through what we're afraid of right now. And as we look over the last 2,000 years, no matter what the situation is, we've had brothers and sisters who've been there before. And Jesus was with them. Isn't that the good news? Jesus was with them. Jesus walked right beside our brothers and sisters right through the most challenging moments in church history. And right now, as we speak, our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world who are dealing with things that we can't even really imagine, Jesus is with them right now. And Jesus is with us. Isn't he? Amen? Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. That's what the whole book of Acts is all about. In fact, there's a verse in the book of Acts that pretty much sums up the whole book. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, notice what Jesus says here. He says to his disciples, you will be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. He doesn't say, well, depending on what Satan does, you might be. Is that what he says? No. He doesn't say, well, depending on what the Roman authorities do, it could be that you are my witnesses in these places. He doesn't say, depending on what the Jewish leaders do, maybe then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. No. He says, you will be. You will be. No matter what the Roman authorities do, no matter what the Sanhedrin does, no matter what the people in every community do, no matter what Satan throws at you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You cannot lose. You cannot fail. Jesus is going with them to make sure that through the Spirit and through his work, they accomplish what it is that he wants them to accomplish. And the same truth and the same reality that was true for the first century church in the book of Acts continues to be true for Jesus' people today. That means it's true for you. It's true for us. The same Spirit who dwelled within them dwells in you. The same Jesus who went with them goes with you. And if you align your life with his will, if you align your life with his mission, when you submit yourself to what he wants you to do, you cannot lose not, you may not lose, you might not lose, you probably won't lose, but you cannot lose. The church of Jesus is unstoppable when we are aligned with his mission. And this is what we see throughout the entire book of Acts, that no matter what the world throws at the church, the church continues to be unstoppable because Jesus is with them. I just kind of want to review the book of Acts for those of us that have been here or maybe you haven't been with us, but just kind of walk through what we've seen so far in the book of Acts so that we understand that this is the demonstration of what the church can be and should be when we are aligned with the mission of Jesus. First chapter, Jesus ascends to his heavenly throne. Jesus ascends to his heavenly throne. Now, that's not a way of saying Jesus leaves his disciples, his apostles, the church on their own and say, good luck, hope it all works out for you. You got the instructions, now follow the instructions and everything will go okay. No, Jesus isn't leaving them. He's not abandoning them. He's going to rule over heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to King Jesus. And then in chapter two, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower his people. Jesus sends the Spirit to empower his people. And then throughout Acts chapter 2, Jesus saves and unifies thousands upon thousands of people. 
Acts chapter 3, Jesus continues working through his apostles to heal the sick and save the lost. See, so often we tend to think about the ministry and the work of Jesus being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that's not exactly right, is it? The ministry and the work of Jesus doesn't end with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' work and Jesus' ministry. It's just that now, now Jesus is operating through his apostles and through his followers and through the church. And Jesus goes on continuing to save people and heal people and reach people through the work of his people. Acts chapter 4, when they're arrested, Jesus gives his apostles the words to speak, just as he promised he would, that when they were arrested and they were brought before the council, that the Spirit would give them the words that they were to speak. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, when the church prayed for boldness, and by the way, that's what the church prayed for, when they were persecuted, when they were threatened, when they were arrested, They didn't pray, oh, please don't let us suffer this persecution. Don't let these threats come to pass. No, they prayed for boldness. And Acts 4 and verse 31 says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Then in chapter 5, Jesus demonstrates his presence and his power through the Spirit's signs and wonders. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, when they were beaten, the apostles rejoiced. That's right. When they were beaten, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Chapter 8 and verse 3, Stephen is executed and Saul begins, quote, ravaging the church And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Here it's getting real, isn't it? Because now it's not just the apostles that are suffering and are persecuted, but now people are dying. Stephen has been executed, and Saul is kicking in doors and rushing in and dragging out men and women and arresting them. People are being put to death. People are being persecuted. But I want us to see that Jesus uses that that circumstance. Jesus uses that situation. The persecution, Acts chapter 8, the persecution results in followers of Jesus being scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Jesus didn't cause the suffering. Jesus didn't cause the persecution. He didn't persecute his own people, but he used the persecution to accomplish what he said they would do, to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8, Samaritans and Ethiopian and many others are baptized when they hear the good news about Jesus. And then, most shockingly, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus brings Saul the chief persecutor of the church, to faith, repentance, and baptism. The one they were terrified of. The one who was kicking in doors and arresting not just men, but arresting women 
and persecuting them, putting them to death, voting for them to be executed. This chief persecutor of the church, Jesus converts him. Jesus brings him to faith and repentance and baptism. And then finally in Acts 9, Saul had left Jerusalem to go to Damascus to arrest Christians. And then when he finally comes back to Jerusalem, he comes back as a Christian and a powerful teacher of the gospel. Do we see how throughout this book, Jesus is thwarting all of the efforts of the evil one? And not only thwarting their efforts, but using using those efforts of Satan and the, the forces and rulers and powers and authorities of darkness, using them against him and using them to accomplish Jesus' own will. Look at chapter 9 and verse 31 and how Luke sort of sums up everything up to this point. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Does that sound a whole lot like Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? That you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Luke kind of stops right here and gives us an update and says, it's happening. It's happening. Everything that Jesus said was going to happen is happening. No matter what the world did. No matter what the authorities did, no matter what the powers did, no matter what the rulers did, no matter what Satan did, no matter what evil threw at them, Jesus was accomplishing his will. His people could not lose. They were unstoppable. Nothing their opponents did could stop them. And do you see again how Jesus not only is able to accomplish his will in spite of the external circumstances and accomplish his will in spite of the internal circumstances, but how he even uses those things and turns what people mean for evil. Jesus turns it around on itself and uses it for good. And so when the church needed to be scattered, Jesus used the persecution that the evil one was, was afflicting the church with. Jesus used that persecution to scatter his people. And when his people were scattered, they went about preaching the word. It's a reminder, isn't it, church? That our external circumstances are scary. Our external circumstances and our internal circumstances within the church, they hurt, they do matter, they are real. It's not dismissing those things. But it's an acknowledgement that Jesus is able to take those circumstances, those circumstances that hurt us, those circumstances that scare us, those circumstances that terrify us, and he's able to use them for his will and his purposes. No matter what they are, there's, there's nothing that evil can do. There is nothing that Satan can throw at the church. There is nothing that the rulers and powers and authorities can do to stop Jesus from accomplishing his will. 
And no matter what they do, Jesus is going to end up using it as fuel for his fire. He's going to end up turning it around on them to accomplish his will. And so when the church needed to be scattered, Jesus was able to use that persecution to make sure that the word went from Jerusalem to Samaria to Galilee and eventually to the ends of the earth. And then when the church needed to be built up and needed to be encouraged, Jesus brought about a time of peace so the church could spend time being built up and being encouraged. Now, look at this last part of verse 31 because this part, ever since I've been studying the book of Acts for this year, it's really just kind of stuck in my head. And when I first read it, I thought, this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Listen, Luke says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, the church, multiplied. So the church was walking in the fear of the Lord, and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and because they were doing this, the church multiplied. Now, that's kind of a, that's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? That, that they were experiencing both fear and what? Comfort. Both fear and comfort. And we might think, well, those are opposites. How can you experience fear and comfort simultaneously? How can you have fear and comfort at the same time? But I would actually argue that you can't have one without the other. You cannot experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit unless you walk in the fear of the Lord. It's only when we walk in the fear of the Lord that we experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? To walk in the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It isn't fear like, oh, I'm so scared he's going to punish me. But it's, it's for one, it's, it's reverent worship, isn't it? We fall on our face before him and we revere him and we respect him and we soberly reflect on who he is and what he's done and we give him honor and praise That's certainly what it means to fear the Lord. It's also about obedient living, isn't it? To say, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to submit to you. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else does, no matter what the consequences are, I'm going to serve you. But all of that kind of circulates around the idea that fear is to recognize someone's power. To fear the Lord is to recognize the Lord's power. The first century church recognized it's Jesus who has all the power. It's Jesus who has all the authority. It's Jesus who's the powerful one. The the power that the world thinks that it has, it's really just an illusion. And this is why we, we tend to fear the the evil powers and authorities and rulers. This is why we fear what the world can do to us because we we look at and we focus on their power. But if we want to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit and we want the church to multiply, we have to do what the church in Acts did and we have to fear the Lord. Recognize he's the one who's in charge. He's the one who has power and all the power of the evil one pales in comparison to the power of King Jesus. And when we recognize his power and we fall on the ground in reverent worship 
and we serve him obediently, well, then we experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Some translations may say the encouragement of the Holy Spirit or the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts, isn't it? Jesus, through the Spirit, telling his people, I am with you. My power is with you. My authority is with you. I'm making a way for you. Nobody can stop you. Nobody can stand in your way. There really is no threat against you. The gates of Hades will not prevail against you. That comfort and encouragement and help. But what does it mean to walk in that comfort? It means to to seek it, to rely upon it. And this is when the church grows. The church multiplies and experiences the comfort of the Holy Spirit when the church fears the Lord and walks in the comfort of the Spirit. I stumbled across this great quote from Oswald Chambers that says, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that true? When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. It isn't that we're too afraid. It isn't that we're too fearful. I believe it's that our fear is simply misplaced. We spend so much time and energy focusing on and recognizing the power of evil rather than focused on and recognizing the power of God. You see, when we fear evil, we're giving evil too much credit and God too little. When we fear evil, we're giving God too little credit and we're giving evil too much credit. Evil cannot prevail against Jesus and his people. Evil will not win. Evil is not winning. Evil cannot win. God and his people are unstoppable. If we align our lives, if we align our wills with the mission of Jesus, then we cannot lose. Then the world has no threat, stands no threat to us, if we walk in the fear of the Lord and we walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It isn't, again, that we have too much fear. It's simply that our fear is misplaced. Fear the Lord. And then you don't have to fear anything else. Fear the Lord. Worship him in reverence. Submit to him. and Live obediently to him. But most of all, recognize his power, his strength, his authority. Spoiler alert, I've read the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible. Chances are, so have you, and we win. Amen? We win. God's people win. We don't lose. We cannot lose. Does that mean that there aren't very real circumstances and situations that will arise that are scary? Of course those things will happen. And of course those things hurt. And of course we don't want those things to happen. But Jesus will prevail anyway. And in fact, Jesus will use those circumstances to accomplish his will. 
So we must walk in the fear of the Lord and we must walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, in the help of the Holy Spirit. Church, if we'd get these two things right, everything else would work out. Fear the Lord, walk in the fear of the Lord, and walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So often, we fear everything else more than we fear the Lord. And so often, we look for the comfort of, the encouragement of, the help of everything else. We lean on and rest on and trust in the power of everything else. And that's why these external circumstances or even these internal circumstances are so terrifying. But if we would walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I believe that we can be and are and will be an unstoppable church and that we will multiply because Jesus is with us. And this journey of walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it begins at baptism. And then every day thereafter, we have to remind ourselves, get out of bed and remember to walk in the fear of the Lord and walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And if we can help you in your journey to take that step or to be who you need to be, our shepherds would love to visit with you and pray with you after service or you can come forward now as we stand and sing.